0: everybody, and welcome to Epic Tales from the Sewers. Uh, Joining me today on the podcast is a very special guest whose artwork has graced the pages of such books as Masters of the Universe Thundercats, Masters of the Universe Injustice, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Universe, and the three Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crossovers. Mr. Freddie Williams, how are you, sir?
1: Hey, um, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Justin.
0: Yeah, thanks. uh, Thanks for being here. Um, We we didn't get to this before, but I am obviously a huge fan. Um, Thank you. And uh, just everything that that you've touched seems to be from from our childhood and like nostalgia and all that. <laughs> you know, it's you're hitting that sweet
1: spot with a lot of us. <laughs> it's um, I'm I'm very fortunate that I've been given the opportunity to to draw this stuff, and also that the sort of the the fan or reader reaction has been overall very very positive. So because uh, it is easy to. You know, mess that kind of thing up, and then <laughs> you're oh, running right for there. Uh, Yeah, um, but uh, I mean, especially the, the the trajectory of my career leading up to Batman Ninja Turtles was very very different, and then I got you know just really lucky with my timing and um, you know my editor Jim Chadwick uh, for Batman Ninja Turtles. Uh, he by by allowing me to draw that series, it, it opened up all these other doors that to to a different type of career that I've always. Been interested in. I mean, I I used to love drawing He Man and Thundercats. Those were, to me, those were contemporary and connected already in my brain.
0: Nice. Um, And so, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So, Batman Ninja Turtles led to He Man Thundercats, led to more Batman Ninja Turtles, led to um, the uh, Injustice versus Master of the Universe, and then more Batman Ninja Turtles. And uh, all of that stuff has just spun off into other, you know, more covers and short stories. um, It's it, it really is a dream come true. There's a lot of people who would do, have done a great job on those crossovers. So I'm really fortunate that, you know, I got to draw. them.
0: I could not picture anybody picking up that book when I read the first one. And then I got to the second one and, and I'm like, I can't picture anybody else doing this artwork. You have Donatello <laughs> juiced up with the, the venom going into him. And, <laughs> and the, second, the second one is, is by far my favorite out of all three of those. And oh yeah, I, I love the third one too, just because of the crossover
1: art design. It's like, oh, it's Leonardo, but it's also Nightwing. It's like this is freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah the uh, the the middle one, uh, Donatello was the was the main character. And did I read somewhere? Did you tell me that Donatello is your favorite of the Turtles?
0: I'm a Leonardo guy. Donatello is my oh. second favorite. But any story where you have excellent character growth or development or anything, like you can take that to the bank you know that's you can you can look at a donatello story from i don't know 1991 where he builds a robot and fights vampires and you can look at this one and it's the same sort of character voice and it's just it's so good and you know he's so human where oh well, I'm feeling inadequate and I wish I could be like batman it's that's such a relatable story <laughs> it's, he's a superhero and he wants to be like the, his hero <laughs>
1: um, the majority of that i have to give a lot of credit to james uh, tinian the, who is the writer for all three of those. And uh, I mean, he's been writing um, Batman for the last year or so. And I mean, yeah. he's written kind of other stuff as well. He's, he's an incredible writer. So he has a, um, it's very easy to collaborate with him because he's so open and he just wants like the best ideas to win out. So um, early on in the production of, so like on the first volume of Batman Ninja Turtles, we, uh, you know, he already had a story. Um, oh, nice. he, he, he pitched it before he and I ever spoke or anything, and then that was approved. And then in volumes two and three, we worked, it was much more collaborative, um, even though it's not credited like Freddie co wrote it because I didn't. It was just more like he, yeah. uh, James, and I had a few conversations and email back and forths over the types of things I'd like to draw, the types of things like, you know, he would like pitch five or six things that were just on his mind, and then I might respond with, um, kind of like a fresh pair of eyes, so to speak, like where I just had a different um, take on it than than he did, and I would suggest it. And if he didn't think it was the right one, then it's definitely not because he knows the right ideas whenever he sees it. Um, so with with um, Batman: Ninja Turtles Volume Two, the one where Donnie is the main turtle for sure, um, the the main like the main story point that I suggested was having. Um, I wanted to have, I wanted it to be a longer scene, but there was a scene where, uh, that was supposed to mirror in volume one, the turtles find Batman's, you know, the bat cave and yep. are just blown away by how amazing it is. And then in volume two, um, I wanted to have a mirror, like an opposite of that, where <clears throat> like I grew up poor, and I know what it was like to have a rich friend or a kid who, came from a more well-off family. And then when they, you know, you'd spend the night at their house and it seemed awesome. And then it was time for them to spend the night at your house and you feel kind their of, their yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt embarrassed yeah. that they were gonna see like the condition of my house and the part of town I was in and and that sort of thing. So I wanted Donatello to have that experience. And so, um, I mean, it's, it's only like a couple uh, of panels, but I wanted him, there's actually a panel where like all four turtles, uh, Batman, Robin, um, And Nightwing and are all like all trying to cram into Donatello's room in the sewer in volume two because they were wanting to look at his his computer monitor, you know, to like go over this footage that April O'Neil had captured. And that to me was the embarrassing moment. He's been in the Batcave at this computer that he loved and actually hugged in volume one and now they're all crammed in his room that's literally in a sewer probably doesn't smell the greatest uh yeah. i think even damien robin mentions that it you know it smells gross so um anyway whatever uh I'm, I'm rambling here but that was something that i um i i suggested and james liked the idea of he was like this is perfect so anyway um i think that made it into the animated feature as well didn't it when he hugs the computer um well the yeah the, the hugging the computer from volume one and that did make it in there. And that was James. That was James's idea. My idea was to show the embarrassing counterpart of that where Donatello feels embarrassed for, for Batman to see his, yeah. line, you know, to see this place that smells bad and is cramped and has 1980s monitors. Like we actually <laughs> use the old CRT monitors that aren't the flat screens and stuff, because he's just using whatever he has versus a billionaire's budget. You know, I, I love that, that sort of
0: trope because it's so personal. You know, and it comes back to, you know, I I can relate to that too. I remember going to the comic book store and it's like, you can get three books. And like back then it was like a dollar a piece. So it's like that, that was it. That was our collection. And one of my books was always a turtle book, no matter what. So (laughs) I had to, I had to pick out, I'm like, all right, I guess I'm getting Venom Lethal Protector today and turtles. And I don't know what the third one's going to be. So
1: (laughs) that was wise of you. If that was your ratio, always get some turtles. Oh Yeah. I'm a huge fan
0: of the Turtles adventure books uh, from starting out. Um, just uh, it starts out and it's, and it's like mimicking the cartoon series. And then it goes off in these really crazy directions. And I, I think it ends up with like the mighty mutant animals are in hell. And, and you're like, what the heck happened? And it's, it's so relevant. Think... It's yeah, like to the nineties, they had, they had this character, Noel, who then showed up as a woman in the IDW series, obviously mm. in, in the um, universe books that uh, you did the covers for,
1: yeah. but
0: um, the, they, they called it the man who sold the world. And I'm like, at the time, they literally pulled this from the, the Nirvana cover, you know, <laughs> which came out at the time. I'm like, it's, it's so like right there with like their thumb on the pulse of what's going on. And I just always felt like it was such an underappreciated book.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I apologize for being part of the underappreciators because I have not, (laughs) I haven't seen it. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people get into the,
0: get into the toys and and that's how they got into turtles. A lot of people had the video games. A lot of people had, um, you know, the mirage books. For me, it was the adventure books that got me or or the cartoon, I should say, too. But that's, that's how I get, um, so that begs the question, how did you first get introduced into the turtles? What, uh, what started your journey?
1: I'm I'm glad you asked that because I, I usually have to skim over that um, that part. I have an older cousin named Jay um, who's like, I don't know, six years older than me or something like that. And he introduced me to a bunch of stuff that I would end up really liking as I got older. So like he introduced me to Conan. He introduced me to um, a role playing system called palladium books that did. Oh that. yes. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with palladium? Do you know? That is probably the
0: number two answer that I get when
1: I ask people how they got introduced to turtles. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Palladium books, I didn't know, I didn't know that Ninja Turtle, I didn't, I'd never heard of Ninja Turtles, and I didn't know they were anything but a, tr- um, a Palladium expansion, so I, I remember walking into Jay's room, and he had a big room, but it was just a total mess, but I mean, that didn't matter to me, I mean, he had like books all over the place, because he was really into role-playing games, and um, I had never role-played before, and he was telling me what role-playing games were, and I had heard of D&D, and to stay away from it, as the yeah. warning when you're a kid that it's gonna yeah. make you kill yourself or your parents or whatever it is. Um, and so he didn't say the words D&D, but eventually he, he's like, it's like D&D, but it's, and it's, then my brain was like, uh-oh. No, but uh, but anyway, he he had one of the books on the ground was the uh, Turtles one where it's the red mask, but it's it's Leo with his arms crossed and he's holding the, the two katanas and there's the circle behind him and it's a collage image. And um, that's what he picked up uh, it was kind of like he was just showing me different covers. So I saw that cover before I knew anything about the Ninja Turtles. Then he was going through and telling me like, this is Ninjas and Super Spies, which was one of their expansions. This is Heroes Unlimited. This is just called Palladium, which was their d substitute. And then this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'd never heard that string of words together before. And so I, ha- I asked him, I was like, wait, what is it? And they, he repeated it. And then he it's like he kind of hand waved. Cause this is before the cartoon, of course, but he hand waved that it was a cartoon that it was a comic book um, because I don't know if he had the comics or if so, maybe it just wasn't relevant. He collected comics, but uh, basically that was my first ex- exposure to it. Um, then later at a Walden's books, which existed at one point. Yeah. I'm um, from
0: new England. So I know Walden's. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I saw a book. I think it was book four of the color reprints where they all had the red bandanas. Mm-hmm. And I had a little bit of my own money and that was, I mean, they didn't have like the full uh, series. They just had book four and it caught my attention. And I remembered my cousin Jay mentioning it. So I grabbed book four and not only was it amazing. I mean, uh, most of that imagery is just seared into my brain. You know, I just read it over and over and looked over, I looked at, uh, at it over and over and redrew from it. I would, you know, Try to replicate the panels and stuff, um, and in the back of that, there's like a bio of both, you know, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, and it says their birthdays. <clears throat> and although we have different birth years, Kevin Eastman and I share the same birthday, which is May 30th. Very um, nice. So it 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 like made this big the combination of all these things. I'd never heard in those words in that order. The artwork were characters I'd never seen looking anything like that, but they're all like massively. Uh, muscular and textured. I don't know. Everything was just awesome. You know, but <laughs> I, it's hard for me to think of another word. But that's what got me into it. Was first that cover of the of a Palladium book, and then later the uh, book four from Walden's books.
0: Yeah, I, I've noticed that um, with turtles, it's a certain genre that seems to find its own fans, and and it's like when when you see it, it just clicks for you, and you're like, yes. <laughs> and I've, I've rarely met someone who's either like worked on it or anything that's like not into it or doesn't have like a really cool origin story for it. So <laughs> I, I love that. Like your older cousin got you into this and it was like, it seems almost like, like accidental. <laughs> totally.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. He was, it was totally, uh, just a tangential relation to what a role-playing game was. Um, then later we started role-playing whenever we role-played the Ninja Turtles, um, but we did play a little bit of uh, riffs, which is like a future sort of genre. It's a mix of stuff, and it had mutants and all this. And it's like it had mutant animals because like um, Palladium had the rights for a certain time, and then they made offshoots of the turtles called um, like After the Bomb and these mm-hmm. other yep. the Australia so, and all them. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we never actually roleplayed those, but I think it's awesome that they existed in Palladium books because I later I drew artwork for Palladium books and became friends with Kevin Simbieta, who created. Uh, palladium. So it, it's like, I'm getting to connect to my roots. As I get older, I get to connect to my younger roots. It's a very strange thing to get yeah, to know them and work on these properties. It's, really, it's, it's um, I'm privileged to get to do it. I'm lucky. Have
0: you, um, have you gotten to a point in your career where you, you finally hit that one thing that you really wanted to do, or are you still at that point where you're like, oh, I'd love to get
1: this character or anything. There's a bunch of stuff I'd still love to draw. Um, so I'd love to do like a, a run on Superman. Um, I've only worked on, you know, I've only done like a couple of things over at Marvel. There's a bunch of stuff over there. I'd like to draw um, Captain America, Wolverine, uh, Thor. Those are, you know, those are obviously very popular characters but I would love to, to draw them. Um, and then I've got some crater on stuff, some fantasy and some horror type stuff. Oh, nice! Such um, ElfQuest was a book that was a big influence on me whenever I was younger, and I'd love to either draw some ElfQuest stuff or something related or you know similar in vibe or proportion to that. So um, there's a Hellboy. I'd love to draw. Hell- I mean, there's like a long list. Of that stuff. was going to be
0: my suggestion because I would yeah. absolutely love to see your take on
1: Hellboy. So. <laughs> Uh, I hope so one day. I don't know. I actually drew a portfolio piece for them cuz I even though like I've drawn all this other stuff where you, you never really get past the point where you know nobody's seeing me draw Hellboy, they don't know if I can draw Hellboy. So it's not like Mike Mignola or Dark Horse are going to approach me to mm-hmm. hey, you want to draw Hellboy? We don't know if you'll do a good job or not. So I drew a portfolio piece for them just a couple months ago and you know, I haven't heard anything back and maybe I won't, but I'm doing that kind of thing all the time just thinking like what would I, I would love to draw Judge Dredd. Um I don't know. There's a lot. I I could
0: see you working on a lot of them just because of like the detailed style, like dread, another character who has that uh, a lot of those Brian Boland covers. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I could see that working very well with your style
1: of art. I'd love to, yeah. Um, and then at some point, I'd like to recreate um, what goes around comes around, um, <laughs> page for, by page, which is the Ninja Turtle one shot of Leonardo, where it was the, the basis for the for the movie, even though they changed to yeah, it the,
0: that's the micro series number four, I think, or something. But um, yeah, that's
1: that's a great book. Yeah, I would. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense that I'd be able to do this, but I would love to sort of redraw every page of that whole story because that is the story. That to me is the best. Ninja Turtle story. Le- I'm also a Leo guy. Um yes. <laughs> Leo was my favorite. And, you um, know what?
0: I figured as much because Leo is the first one and the only one that put hands on Batman. <laughs> and and
1: yeah, I figured was, I'm I, like, I, he's I gotta, gotta be a Leo guy. <laughs> <laughs> now now James wrote it that way. Uh that he actually was able to, you know, if it was like they had to go all out, maybe that wouldn't have happened in that way. But the fact that that he was able to stand out i mean rafael got taken out immediately by a taser <laughs> yeah, and okay. so you know who knows what would have happened in that fight or whatever so um but yeah i i was i took pride in that was that leo was able to hold his own whenever batman was kind of testing their abilities then later when they were sparring he was actually able to kind of trick batman enough to get a little uh a couple of points on him in the sparring session
0: i i love that um he's just <laughs> he's always been to me, the person that I've wanted to be, you know, and, and I think like we, everybody kind of gravitates towards a particular turtle. And I don't know if we do it because we think we're like them, but I think that I would like to be like Leo. And that's kind mm-hmm. of one of the things I like about it. Like he's an aspirational hero of mine. So, yeah, a I, lot of people I, think he's a narc, but uh, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was about to say, uh, most people seem to describe him as a wet blanket, uh, you know, like he's, he's always trying to quash the fun and stuff. Um, and I can kind of, I can kind of get that, but that's the kind of person when I was younger and I was in a group of friends and they were getting mischievous, I tended to try to, tr- I wanted to, to calm things down or if things got, you know, if, if one, per- if two people were getting heated, I would want to try to defuse that and stuff. And that's not because I thought, what would Leo do in the situation? Yeah. personality. Yeah. So yeah, you're probably right. There's, you know, people gravitate towards the turtle. That's the most like them. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i
0: i agree um were you into say uh i i see a couple action figures back there were, were you into yeah. collecting the ninja turtles back in the day
1: man we were so not to make it a, a sob story I, I we were so poor that the idea of collecting anything <laughs> was you know unless you're collecting something you have made you know out of, like uh because i my first like uh sketchbook was you know, I, I had a bunch of um, uh, extra scrap paper from school that I then was drawing on the back of. Um, and my my mom kind of stapled those pages together and turned it into a sketchbook for me and stuff. But uh, yeah, my uh, my father was not in our life. Like he left what, pretty early, but he at least stayed connected uh, financially. So he he gave us child support and all this other stuff. The reason I bring that up is because he, at one point he worked at a at target which was the first time i'd ever heard of target and he he did send me a bunch of um uh masters of the universe or he-man figures and so i had i don't maybe they were on clearance or something because i had like four skeletors by the <laughs> by like over the course of a couple of years of, for like christmas and for um uh, and for my birthday and stuff i'd had i accumulated several skeletors and um a couple of uh Tigras. so <clears throat> um Anyway, about this, uh, these are, uh, nobody at home listening can see this, but uh, what I have up on my shelf here is the NECA edition Bebop and Rocksteady, where they're in the bunny suits. Oh, and, yeah. From yeah, the Loot Crate. Yes. Yeah. So I drew a piece of art, um, which is like a shredder's ancestor. But a sort of I same have character. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I drew this, and um, Trevor Zammett, who was the the editor that I, or the art director that I worked with uh, at NECA, he, he sent me a couple of comp copies of the loop Crate. So that's wh- how I got those. That's actually the majority of my collection is like what people bring to me at conventions um, or make for me at conventions or give to us as gifts. Um, that just has become the, the collection.
0: <laughs> so, so you're saying that um, we should, we should then uh, encourage people to bring you gifts
1: at conventions. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm actually not saying that. Okay. Um, it's very stupid <laughs> when people do yeah. that. But no, <laughs> we we have quite a bit. Uh, and some of it, I hope no one gets offended. Some of it, we have 14 nieces and nephews. We do give some of those to the nieces and nephews. Um, if we feel like, you know, oh, he's really into Spider-Man and we got a Spider-Man thing, you know, we'll give it to, uh, you know, to, uh, I try not to say all their names because it's somebody actually figured out where we we were taking photos at a um at a birthday party in their backyard and somebody actually figured out what housing division we were in and i was like that's so weird that they could figure that out so i don't actually talk like say their names yeah you <laughs> know i'm, I I'm with something. you on that yeah yeah um
0: so, so what do they do then someone tries to show up at the housing and be like hey i got this copy of
1: uh you know masters of the universe and justice Two. can you sign it you know like, what um <laughs> That's weird. Uh, that that might be what they're thinking. No, I uh, like I I ran into some people at a Best Buy who knew who I was and they were totally well meaning people. They were just like, "Hey, maybe we can come by your house and hang out. I'll bring some stuff over for you to sign." And to them, I mean, I'm not saying that would have been like the worst thing ever, but I, you know, I, I'm very um, segmented. And you know, when I'm at a convention, that's convention time, and when I'm at home, that's work and you know, living lifetime. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, anyway, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. People who bring stuff um, to conventions, it's very much appreciated, but don't feel like anyone has to do that. <laughs> That's
0: cool. Do you uh, do you make it out to uh, the big the big ones in um, Chicago at all?
1: I did. I used to go uh, yearly, but it's been a while since I've been to Chicago. I used to go to Wizard World uh, Chicago Con. I did that for like maybe. I don't know, seven or eight years in a row or something like that. And then we switched to C2E2, which is also in Chicago. Yep. Um, and then we started having shows that would kind of butt up against either in the same weekend or near those, both of those shows that we would instead um, start going to those other ones. So anyway, it's just been a while um, since we've been to a Chicago show, but uh, we have nothing against it. We were just getting other it's like when you go to the same show year after year after a while, you think, well, let's see what else is there. So, or what else, what other shows we can do in that same month. Um, oh, I'm with you. And
0: then if you get to someplace else, like maybe you've never been to Connecticut and you end up going to Mohegan Sun and give those people a chance to see you.
1: <laughs> For I, example, I'm
0: from Connecticut. So yeah. I, I would have loved, so, but now I live in Illinois. So I, I'm like, yeah, come back to see you. See you. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, you know, that's, that's really, really an interesting perspective too, because um you know, they, they talk about like when you listen to musicians and when, when you go to a concert, you expect to hear the song and it's the same, like maybe you're seeing Neil Diamond and he's singing sweet Caroline and you're like, Oh, it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like it does on there because he's bored. He's bored singing (laughs) the same song, you know, doing the same thing over and over. He wants to do something to entertain himself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's that
1: aspect. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some of that. I mean, there's a show that we do well until the pandemic thing. Um, you know you might have heard of the pandemic thing um, <laughs> yeah that thing, <laughs> that thing uh we used to do um San Diego Comic-Con every single year and I, that's like the biggest yeah, I think that's the show you know, yeah yeah uh, but that's where I got picked up at DC Comics and that's where I've had a lot of other firsts um I was picked up at the the talent search back in 2005 for you know at DC uh, for DC Comics so um and we have family that lives out there and we hang out with them so it's it's like a a yearly, well, used to be, um, I keep talking in the present tense cause it actually still feels like it's the year two twenty twenty 2020 or something. Doesn't it? like, yeah. It's just been like a long, long year. Um, but we normally would go out there every year and, uh, became like a tradition. And, um, so maybe we'll get to go back whenever things get back to normal.
0: <laughs> Do you hit the in and out burger while you're out there?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but my, uh, Kiki's great aunt, which is who we stay with out there. Um, who is? She's in her eighties, but she still loves all the comic book movies. Uh, some years she even comes to the show with us. Like imagine it, somebody in your imagine yourself when you're in your eighties going to a comic con. Yeah, con. I don't That's know. That's easy. I can yeah, that, I, I could definitely see that. <laughs> well, <I'm> actually, <laughs> you know, it's it's a pretty physically taxing show. So, oh, um, but anyway, I give her all the credit. Um, but uh, she always says. She loves in and out Burger, as long as you don't take it to go, because by the time you get home, the fries have steamed and you can't eat them. Like, that's what she, she always says something like that. So we always have, if we go there, we have to sit down and eat. Um, and yeah, we, we go there every, probably every year. It's
0: the only one I know that has cheese paper, where, where the cheese literally gets stuck to the, the wrapping of the burger too. So, <laughs> you know, right. it's, yeah, yeah, we, we've, um. I don't know, I, I missed that. I haven't I haven't had that since probably 2002. So, but, you know, if you're a Big Lebowski fan, you gotta go.
1: Yeah, I, I've only seen Big Lebowski once. I'm so sorry to be um, sacrilegious. Uh, that, okay. that movie, but I probably need to give it, I'm in a very different mindset now than when I was a teenager watching that. Um, but I'm like, I'm not, I don't drink and I don't do any drugs or anything. And not that you have to, to enjoy that movie, but the people who seemed... Past tense seemed to like that movie so much, uh, tended to lean that way. Like they were either into stoner comedies or were in fact stoners themselves. Again, not everyone, but I'm saying that that was my experience. And uh, there, maybe I just need to see it again with like a more adult perspective and just take it for what it is instead of bringing my own psychological baggage to it or something.
0: <laughs> that's that's a a really fresh perspective because I've done that with with reading certain comics. And I mean, there's some comics that are always going to be like perennial favorites. Like I'll always go back to Crisis on Infinite Earths. But then sure. I'm like, all right, maybe look, look back on this, this one. Maybe I didn't like this Marvel comic way back. Like I never gave the New Mutants a chance. And now I go back and read the New Mutants and I'm like, how did I miss this? Well, because now that I'm mature, I'm not looking for like, oh, Cable with a giant gun or Wolverine cutting someone right. up. It's like I've matured and my tastes have changed
1: yes yeah you can appreciate different levels uh, of the narrative or the artwork even that you could oh yeah definitely yeah Yeah.
0: i i am i am still a huge daredevil guy and that's never Mm going to change i don't think i've ever read a run of daredevil that i was like this is terrible so you know it's it's always been a consistent favorite It, it sounds like you're
1: a big superman guy um yeah um Yeah, uh, since I, like earlier I was talking about how my my father was never around. I think Superman took, psychologically, took the place of a father, like a role model, like a father figure in my life. So um, my first experience with superheroes in general was the the Christopher Reeves Superman movies and then the Just uh, the um, Super Friends cartoons. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, So the Superman in that was like this really powerful but always in a good mood guy who would take care of things and make sure that the right outcome happened you know um which is very uh favorable if you're without a father or something so um but even just aside from that i mean there's other stuff to him but that's what probably connected me to liking superman to begin with and then since then actually reading stories that were well written that's good (laughs) um but yeah i would love to draw something where superman is actually in a good mood and smiling and um the struggles that he faces don't make him into a dark monster um that would be good <laughs> that's the kind we, of story we need I'd to hook
0: know. you up with mr mark wade then because that sounds okay. exactly like like that would be a a, a perfect match mm-hmm. or, or dan jurgens who is one of my absolute heroes Dan yeah, jurgens uh, is great i am a big booster gold guy so mm-hmm. <laughs> i actually have a booster gold uh, some original art that's uh inked and, and drawn from him r- right up here so yeah uh, those are like the bat or uh, bat and the uh, <laughs> Superman
1: guys. So, yeah, were you just now? You were looking up, kind of off uh, off screen. Is it like hanging up there on your wall? Yeah, it is. It's um, <laughs> it's it's a page, and, and to me,
0: this is like my most valuable possession. But it's uh-huh. like I paid sixty dollars for it at a con, and then he signed it, and it's a page of Booster Gold number nine where it's got a blue beetle and booster gold and like a broken time sphere. It's Mm -hmm. the most inane little page and all that, but it could not be
1: more precious, you know? Yeah, Dude, 60 bucks for even, even if it was like a pretty standard page, that's a great deal. Um, Yeah. yeah. So how long ago was this? this Uh,
0: Let's see. This would have been at Mohegan sun, probably 2010
1: ish. Mm -hmm. Probably at or around there yeah that's well that's a great deal because even even back then they i mean right now the original art market seems to be pretty nutty in a good way i mean everybody's uh, collecting right now because they can't go anywhere yeah <laughs> you yeah know, i was asking, i was i was talking to one of my art uh, art friends Johnson uh, john Simariva, who uh he drew the other batman ninja turtles the one that's called batman ninja turtle adventures the more oh yeah batman. yeah great book he's a good he's a good friend we were friends even before he got connected to that which was weird anyway um but uh, I was asking him, why did he think that the original art market was up? And he was basically saying the same thing, just that he thinks that people are, still have some sort of budget towards their comic book uh, habit, <laughs> their interests. And now yeah. they don't have to pay for uh, airfare and the accommodations and all this other stuff. So uh, why not still connect to it by getting commissions via mail or or ordering original artwork? And so I was like, ah, that's a great point. Um, I was just assuming people would clam up uh, with their, with their funds, just because it's such a weird, unstable time in life. Um, yeah. It's that entertainment it. budget, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh. It's it's funny you mentioned uh, commissions because I, I have um, a friend and he uh, showed on Facebook, a commission that he had received of Leonardo, who's got like all these arrows and stuff for him. So
1: uh,
0: our friend Phil from the, uh, the oh, uh, creator. Con- yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, did Shout out to you- Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, did he tell you how he got that piece?
0: No, no, he didn't. He didn't share the story. So um, okay, maybe well, he will at some point.
1: I don't know. Okay. <laughs> is it OK if I share it? Or is it it's up to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we were at the New York show in 2014, I'm guessing. Um, Kiki and I in uh, New York Comic Con. And first of all, I drew that piece was like kind of the beginning of the turning point for me with the Ninja Turtles. And then that led to Batman Ninja Turtles. So that is probably a pillar piece. Like if you were to imagine somebody's, you know, like if you could f- visually construct someone's career, that piece represents a lot. The one where Leonardo is on his knees and he's got just arrows and swords sticking out of him and everything. Um, I uh, I had been working on a Conan short story at a, um, at a Phoenix comic-con <clears throat> and was so the the deadline for it was so tight that I wasn't taking commissions at that show at the Phoenix show. And I wrapped up the pages at the show um, and had about an hour or so to spare where the show was about to be over. So I thought, what do I want to draw? And I thought, Leonard, like it was the first time I had drawn him in a long time. So I drew him. I took a bunch of uh, work in progress photos so I could show them on Twitter or something later. Um, Then after I drew that, I then, decided well if I've drawn Leonardo over the next like a month or something I drew the rest of the turtles and a couple of other pieces and I basically put those on my website to use as portfolio pieces uh I don't know and of course I could sell the originals later but um it was just the stuff I wanted to draw so I worked it in when I could well flash forward to the New York show a few months or a year later or whatever it was um I met Phil for the first time and he came by <clears throat> and it was either on his birthday or near his birthday. And he, he came by and he kept looking at the page and then we <laughs> chit chat. Then he'd leave and he'd come back like later that same day and be looking at the page and flipping through the book and looking at the page again. And, um, he, he said something like, I would love to get this page. Um, but I don't want to tell my wife or he said something like that. He was <laughs> cheeky with it, but I didn't know that at the time. And, um, I actually said, I I won't sell this to you. If you, if, if that's serious, I would rather not sell it to you. That way I'm not creating any problems with, um, you know, in your marriage or whatever. And, uh, now he was joking and later I think like the next day or something, he brought his wife by and she was like, he was like, and this is the page I was telling you about. She was like, Oh my God, let's get it. Like she, she loved the page as well. And she, and plus I guess he had spoke really highly of it before. Um, so that's basically how, I mean, that's how we met. Then we stayed in contact. Then later he has started doing his own conventions and I'm actually, I have a, I'll be on a live stream of his in like a month. Um, so like next month. So uh, anyway, whatever it was. Uh, I guess the, the nuance of getting to know him through that is, is harder to convey than I thought at the beginning of that story. Um, but that's basic. We've seen a, each other at a bunch of other shows and, Um, that's just how I, I got to know him was through that piece. And then that piece specifically was so significant to how I got picked up on Batman Ninja Turtles and stuff.
0: I mean, that's, that's the thing too. It's like, this is not just, you know, two people that work together or anything like that. He's coming to you from like a perspective of a fan, like he knows the business and stuff like that, but it's like, that's a story about like you making a fan's day you know, and with such a pivotal piece that's so important to you. So I think that speaks a lot to, you know, your generosity as, as a, a creator. You know? Oh,
1: thank you. Thanks. And, and I don't mean to
0: blow smoke at you, I, you know, something like that. I'm just <laughs> saying it's like, that is a really generous thing for you to part with.
1: Um, well, it's, uh, thank you very much. It's, it's also, I mean, it's, he, he was at that, in that specific, you know, uh, interaction that we we're having you know, he's he's bringing a lot of positivity to the dynamic. It's very easy to be nice and engaged with people who are so connected to the artwork you're doing and stuff. I mean, the artwork is, this artwork is probably the most, I don't know, personal or intimate thing in my life that I can share in a public way. And mm-hmm. so if somebody is connected to it in that way, it almost feels like you know them without having ever met them. It's a, It's a weird thing. In the same way that I feel like I know like suddenly twenty or thirty percent more about you because Leo is your favorite <laughs> turtle. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Like <laughs> you're like, well, I can trust him. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. There, there's like all these. He's not going to lock me in a closet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. that that automatically get check marked. Like I I know these things or types of things about him um, that are auto filled in or something. So it was kind of like that with with Phil as well. So that's cool. Uh,
0: another Leo guy. So so yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah shout out for us. So. uh, Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, influences on your style, because a lot of people that I talk to, we're we're trying to kind of pinpoint what it is, what it looks like. And, you know, um, a lot of people go back to Jim Lee, where Mm -hmm. just like the sheer detail of what you have and what you undertake is like, there's so much in there. And it really gives us this huge Jim Lee vibe. Like, was he... I mean, he's got to be, I'm sure, some sort of influence, but I'll let you fill in the blanks of who your style influences are.
1: Yeah, sure. It's it's um it's definitely a big mashup of uh, Jim Lee is my all time favorite artist for sure. Um, that, you know, when when I think if I had to just name one, of course, there's you know, it would definitely be Jim Lee. Now, Jim Lee is like the most probably the most famous, of all, famous of, of all time as far as a comic book artist, if you measure it with comic book sales and just how how many things he's done in his career. Um, if anyone who just happens to be listening to this doesn't know who Jim Lee is, he was <laughs> a very luck. popular <laughs> artist. Yeah, exactly. Um, a very popular artist when he drew X-Men. He, he uh, drew X-Men number one, which was the highest selling comic book of all time. It sold over 8 million copies. Um, and since then, he went on to be one of the co-founders of Image Comics. He founded Wildstorm, the studio, and then later sold that to DC Comics and then became co-publisher and is currently co-publisher at DC Comics. That's a very short summary, but um, his his style was one of the, so the, the two books I would credit with making me want to draw comic books for a living is Elfquest Book 3, which was a trade paperback that I stole from my local library. Um, it's a long story. I ended, up forgive having, you. I ended up having to pay like over $40 to pay them back for this book. So I paid way more than if I just bought it outright and it's like an old copy. And then um, X-Men 272, which was drawn by Jim Lee. Uh, and if you were to combine visually their two styles, Wendy Penny, who drew ElfQuest Quest, and then Jim Lee's X-Men, if you combine them visually, you would kind of get something that looks like Arthur Adams. Uh, and so Arthur Adams is very much up my okay. alley. Um, when I draw the- <laughs> I turtle, was going there. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur Adams is amazing. Um, when I'm, when thinking about the Ninja Turtles, I don't think they get any better looking than, you know, that book for the, the later reprints where it has what goes around comes around and then the follow-up. Uh, so it was like the lead art of one shot and then the follow-up to that. I can't remember the title of that, but the, the stuff that was the, the basis for the first, um, live action Ninja Turtles, uh, movie, um,
0: which the, they the, switched
1: to Raphael for the movie. Correct. Yeah, and I always wonder if it was because you know when they were writing it for the screen they were confused because of the red, red bandana, or if they just thought Raphael had a more interesting pathos to connect to because he was more um, or less stable. You know, like a less stable character, so he he was more prone to having a bigger uh, emotional range. So they focused on him. Anyway, it was a great movie though. I love that yeah. movie. Um, and according to the, you know, the the theme song in the credits, he was the leader. Yeah. <laughs> he's the leader of the about, group.
0: About T U R T L E Power by Partners yeah. in Crime. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Transform from the norm by the
1: Nuclear Goop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely. Um, but uh, that's a karaoke you know, tune right there. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the, the the interpretation that Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird had. At that time, to me, is the definitive Ninja, Tur- Ninja Turtles, and so whenever I'm drawing them, I'm I visually reference them in my brain. Sometimes I'm looking at them directly um, to I don't know the sort of the size relationships, the the type of shapes that they would use, um, the the musculature that looks almost like stone. Sometimes, like the way yeah, that I can see that. Yeah. Um, all that stuff is a big influence. I could still draw like some of the leg muscles from how, you know, the turtles were depicted and some of those poses because I drew them over and over as a kid. I drew from that book all the time. And, uh, that's partially how I learned how to draw legs was from the Ninja Turtles and stuff. So, um, anyway, uh, so yeah, with Ninja Turtles, it's Kevin Eastman, and Peter Laird with humans and, um, the the level of detail and maybe some of the storytelling compositional stuff it's very much a jim lee feel um but also pulling from any other influences along the way uh there's there's some artists that are fantastic with storytelling and their dynamics on the page but i don't like the way they draw faces and i don't like the way they render things uh but just their flair for the dramatics or moving the eye through the page then that's something i can learn from so it's a big hot I always hot.
0: think of uh Jim Lawson like that I'm I'm not a fan of how he draws the turtles themselves but his layouts are just fantastic
1: you're like wow this is a really
0: dynamic scene mm-hmm. yeah so, definitely yeah, I can um, see what you're
1: saying there yeah I, I would have loved to been able to have been a part of the actual physical mirage studios with the you know with those group of guys I mean just being around all of them I'm sure you pick up on skills you know basically it, in a studio environment, you just artists feed off of each other and pick up so much information from each other. Cause you can see the, the decision-making process of that other artist and figure out why they're doing what they're doing and then how you can react to that or pull from that or whatever. And you're all just feeling escalate. <laughs> yeah. Or escalate. Exactly. I would have loved to have been connected to that. So reading that, you know, in the back of book four, reading those, those bios, And you know that they have the mirage studios and stuff that was i aspired to be a part of mirage studios whenever i was a kid um and now i've been very fortunate to get to meet and become friends with kevin eastman and um got to we we traveled to dublin ireland together and traveled to australia together for different conventions and um just hung out at other shows where you get to hang out for 10 minutes and then he's off to another signing you know (laughs) oh wow Um, and so that's probably the closest and i got to work with him on the Commandy challenge issue nine i think it was in 2017 it was like um a story that tom king wrote and then kevin eastman and i collaborated on the artwork so and i got to be in his physical studio at home and stuff that's the closest i will ever get to working at mirage but it was great
0: that's awesome yeah, that's great. And Comandee's a great character, just someone that it's like he keeps showing up, and you know now he's in a, another uh, book at DC and with uh, the original version of Batman, Starfire, Sinestro, and um, Booster Gold. So I, oh, I couldn't I seen be happier. It. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's like brand new. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's um, cool. <laughs> right on the the heels of uh, Batman Death Metal, I want to say. So. it's mm-hmm in like future state, I suppose. I, I'm, okay. I'm a little bit behind. I, I have like, I have a stack like this, but yeah. with Last Ronin coming out, I literally am just like, I drop everything to read that book. And yesterday they just came out with the director's cut, which oh. ironically it has the Kevin Eastman size chart where it's like Casey's this tall and this is how tall <laughs> the Ronin is. So I'm like, oh,
1: just eating it up. Yeah, yeah that, that stuff. Um, have you read so- it? Oh no, I haven't read it, but I got the next. I got a better experience, I think, um, when it, John Mariva, and I, and Kevin Eastman were all in Australia for the uh, last year, like a year ago this week, basically. There was a, a series of conventions that we did a place called Supernova, not Supernova, Supernova, um, and that's the guys who run the the convention. And uh, it's like there's you know two different shows you're doing, so on one weekend you do the show, then you have a week in between just to hang out. And then the next weekend you do another show and then you have a little bit more time before you go head back to the U.S. And this was literally the week that they, uh, the U.S. closed, were closing their borders for the pandemic and all the, and Sydney, Australia, which is where we were flying out of, they were talking about closing their borders. So this was exactly was right the, before Tom Hanks got COVID. Yeah. No, uh, it's funny. I, <laughs> it was, One day after that, we landed in Gold Coast, Australia, which is where Tom Hanks and his wife had gotten it. They were they were at a uh, on location filming a movie in Gold Coast. Uh, As soon as we got off the flight, we landed in Gold Coast because that's where the second show was and read that um, that Tom Hanks had just tested positive and that he was on the streets of Gold Coast taking like selfies with people the day before. So where he was, was the same, or the next hotel over from where we were. Oh my goodness. I thought, it's, so, it's so weird. Now, we never saw him, but I'm just saying yeah. that we were walking on the same streets that he was the day before taking selfies with people where he didn't know he was infected with COVID yet. So we were kind of, the, the nervous level of it is you could potentially be near somebody who got COVID from Tom Hanks and yep. not know it yet. And then get Tom Hanks' strain of COVID through this person. It was a very weird event. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because Kevin Eastman was working on The Last Ronin stuff, his concept work and his storytelling um, while he was in Australia with us. So me, John Simariva, and then Kevin Eastman were all sitting in this room doing an art. We weren't working on the same piece, but we were just sort of drawing at the same time. And Kevin was working on Last Ronin, so he just picked up his sketchbook and gave us all the rundown. We knew who Last Roman was, which Turley was before it was revealed. Wow. And he was showing us all of his concept work. It, it really blew us away. So we got like the personalized presentation by Kevin Eastman himself, uh, John Simariva and I did. So it was a great, now I haven't picked up the director's cut. I actually would like to, because even though we got to see his originals, Kevin Eastman's originals, I it's not like I got to keep them. So I'd like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to keep, get that book. So that I have them in my in my possession, you know, um, and, and seeing some of Kevin's sketch work um, was transformative to me. Like in 2015, right after it was announced that I was doing Batman Shorts, um, I got to go out to the San Diego Art Gallery that I don't know if they're still open now, but they were for a while. He was the curator for it. And they had a couple of uh, Kevin Eastman sketchbooks his editorial sketchbooks from whenever he did the uh, first movies uh, adaptation. And so he had all these sketches of how he was going to translate the live action film back into a comic. And um, the guy who was running the, the art gallery at the time, once he knew who I was, he just, he took them out of their case. He was like, yeah, dude, feel free to flip through them. And I was like, Whoa, it, it, it was like a transformative experience in that I got to, see his it's like I was in his journal or his diary do you know what I wow. mean it's, yeah. it's such to see somebody's sketch work and when they're working something out on the page that's like the most personal just about the most personal thing you can connect with another artist on you're getting to see their their brain on the paper um and here I am holding it and he's a hero of mine back then as he is now getting to flip through this stuff and having it right up in wow. my face it was amazing so getting, I don't know, getting to see another person's sketch work is sometimes better than seeing their finished, polished work, you know? So anyway, sorry. Uh, last, no, Ronin, that's, that's awesome. cut. everyone should pick that up. It's, it's amazing oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: It's, it's funny because, um, I was looking at the numbers today for Last Ronin and it is the best selling book. It's number one, again, the, the second issue. And the, the thing that really got me is that it's cost double what the next best selling book was. I think it was like King and Black Marvel or something like that. And that's a four ninety nine book. You have an eight ninety nine book, which is The Last Ronin issue two. So <laughs> when, when people are like, oh, print is dead, or, or they're like, people aren't going to spend this. It's like when you put something out that is that much quality, that can generate that much heat and buzz in the industry, like they're going to show up in droves. So
1: yeah, it's, I mean, if it's nothing amazing. else, publishers should take note of that. I mean, to see, but I think also Last Ronin is a longer... There's more content to the book as well. Yeah, so That's something to take note of as well. That the price versus page count and stuff. Um, but also, it's just an awesome story as well. I actually haven't read um, the uh, what, what is it, King in Black? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I I honestly I know Ryan I don't know Stegman, how much I read. I'm, I'm a fan of Ryan segment. I just haven't seen it. Yeah. I haven't read it. I,
0: I will catch up to it eventually. Um, I I assumed it was a Spider-Man thing, and I, I'm not a huge Spider-Man guy. I usually mm-hmm. I'll like pick up the trades and read them afterwards and stuff. But I, I read primarily DC, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's just kind of where my, my heart lies and you get so connected to these characters and it's like, this is just so good. And
1: yeah. You know, I don't know. That's, that's my, uh, that's my universe there. And um, no, I get that. You, you shouldn't, I, I hope that you wouldn't feel embarrassed to, to say that kind of thing because, Oh no, I'm sh- quite shameless. I- <laughs> you should collect and connect with whatever you feel, you know, like it, there's no, uh, boy, I'm trying to think of how to f- don't, you know, just vibe with whatever feels correct to you. So to me, I just follow specific artists, the, the characters are, oh, to me, but it's more about what artist is drawing, whatever they draw, that's what I'm going to follow. You know?
0: Um, I, I'm a really but, big Valiant fan too. So, I mean, I, I would love to personally see you do a Valiant book at some point, you know, if, if they're, you know, interested in getting, but it's like, wow, how cool would it be to get you doing Shadow Man? You know, like this dark, <laughs> whorey, you know, sort of horror <laughs> sort of thing. Like that would be really sick, so.
1: Yeah, I would love to do that. But um, one of my first portfolios that I ever put together when I was in high school, so when I was like 16 or whatever it was, um, I picked three characters to draw. <clears throat> pardon me. And believe it or not, it was Magnus Robot Fighter, then Rai, our AI Nice. Robot. And then zealot. Uh, wow, <laughs> now, it was a terrible portfolio, but I'm saying that those are the characters of all the other characters that I could have chosen. There was no Ninja Turtles in that. There was no Batman, no Superman. It was those three characters. So we probably um, want to show something different too, because everybody draws mm-hmm. Batman, you
0: know.
1: Yeah, as they
0: should. Batman's amazing, but you know, still, it's like to show something different and to show I've got depth. I drew Magnus the robot fighter. So <laughs> I think he's now a dynamite. But um. Like in in okay. Rye, that story is so similar to uh, the Last Ronin. It's like there's a lot of really cool uh, similarities, yeah, to, like futuristic yeah. city. You
1: know, yeah, interesting. I see that. That's cool. Oh, I didn't know you're a Rye fan. That's really cool. So, yeah, I'm. I wouldn't. I don't. I couldn't speak in an educated way about a bunch of. It was like the. I, I had a couple of issues of it at that time. And that, I just thought it was a cool character. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's the reason I was drawing it. So, um, But yeah, I can see exactly what you're talking about with some of the uh, similar themes. I hadn't thought about that. I also would love to draw, um, I don't know. This is something I pitched to, to DC and maybe they, they will, maybe they won't do it, but like a Last Ronin and Batman Beyond crossover. I, I mean, oh wow. I, I'm not sure if they're, yeah. I, I don't know if they would ever click with that, but um, I mean, at least some of the editors are like, oh yeah, we'll see what we can do. But um, there's so many like moving parts when it comes to, can, you know, um, trying to get a crossover like that going. It's a miracle that any of them happen. Um, they're so they're know, the just...
0: only company right now that's doing anthology books to my, to my uh, knowledge. So whether it's these Walmart 100 page specials where you can get like a story on Swamp Thing, Wonder Woman, and I don't know, Our Man, you know, but it's, or like the, the halloween issue where it's like oh it's raven and wonder woman it's like what's going on here this is interesting Deadman man and batman and i i really like i missed that aspect that's that was one of the most fun things about reading hellboy when you have like a four-page story about how he's going to fight some vampire or like goat king or something like that and it's like <laughs> then you move on to the next one and i, I would love to see stuff like that
1: yeah Yeah. uh, I mean, and I I love to draw stuff like that. It's oftentimes if it's as long as the structure is already in place, it's the kind of thing that you can sell an editor. Well, give me, even if you haven't seen me draw this character before, it's only like an eight page story. It's only, it's only a 10 page story. So at least if it doesn't quite work out, it's not like the, you know, it doesn't ruin a year worth of material. It's just a smaller commitment. So
0: I was hoping they would get another, like a turtles book like that where you just have like these little vignette sort of stories. They do backups mm-hmm. and all that. And like Jenica has some, which is a really cool book, um, cool character too. But um, like, they'll have like a little backup, like a B story going on in that. And that's kind of fun. I, yeah. I, I just, I'd like to see some more of those
1: like bite-sized character pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And actually i um going back to Batman Ninja Turtles. I think even though it's not as big of a variety um, I think James does a great job of writing, even though it's connected to the larger story, Uh, There's like a big story that's happening, but then he always finds a way to fit in little character moments that um, makes it, even though they're not short stories within it, but it like progresses their arc throughout it. And so that you're not just swept up in the large story, you get like little character bites as well. And so in a way, it feels almost like an anthology if looked at through a certain lens um, where the, the, uh, you zoom in, you you have the big picture and hopefully that's interesting. Then you zoom into each character. To connect with what they're going through um so that it, it feels intimate as well this big story also feels intimate
0: I, I noticed that too um actually i was just thinking about the uh the masters of the universe and the um uh, injustice book which uh that that had it seemed like a lot of uh kind of b plot stuff going on too and and probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite all-time comic moments when skeletor steals the power of uh of shazam <laughs> which yeah. is like such a mind blowing image <laughs> to see. It's like, I, I could not tell you how many times I have copied that picture and sent it to someone. you know? <laughs> and just be like, no, you don't understand this happened. You know?
1: <laughs> like- yeah. That was uh, so Tim Seeley, who's the writer for um, injustice versus masters of the universe. Um, on a side note, he and I are doing a crater on book. It just, the first issue just came out yesterday. It's called, uh, Oh wow. Be- it's awesome. called bequest, which is a, um, it's a, creator on book it's got fantasy elements and real world stuff so like swords and sorcery but they come to this world as well so um i mean it just came out on wednesday yesterday anybody who's watching or listening to this uh, it was march march 17th that it came out but anyway the reason i bring that up is um, he's killing it this year (laughs) yeah tim is awesome and we connected really well in doing um injustice versus master of the universe so but yeah that was one of the things that that impressed me and got me excited to want to work with him more uh, like on the creator on stuff was his um his knowledge of the lore and character interactions with masters of the universe specifically but how they could connect because um for anyone who hasn't read it like the the there was like a really clever shortcut to building trust within the masters of the universe um w- where batman and uh prince adam or he-man can now trust each other was uh both moss man and swamp thing are able to know the intent and knowledge, whatever each other shares through something called the green, which is like an interdimensional network or um, web of vegetation. And there's no deception in the green. So they're able to immediately build a rapport and trust. And that's such a clever way, anytime that you do a crossover, there's always that, it's kind of a redundant scene or it can be if it's done wrong, where characters have to figure out, well, how can I even trust you to know if I should fight on your side. And this was a very clever way for him to do that. And that was actually, and that was in the first issue. So it was very much like the, the, a big chunk of the narrative was able to almost be skipped over, which is very clever writing. Um, and it's within character. It's not just something where you go, wait, I didn't know they could do that. It's built into the canon of a swamp thing that Mossman could connect to. So- um,
0: And it wasn't and an like, exposition dump either. So it was it was really right. cool.
1: Yeah, there, there's like a few sort of like uh, like a collage page essentially, but it doesn't feel like, I mean, anytime that you see or that I read like a comic where you don't, you know, how, how would Superman even know if he can trust this guy, you know, is in my mind, you know, uh, a lot of the times. But uh, and anyway, uh, in any case, uh, Tim Seeley was able to, he wrote s- so many cool iconic moments, including, yes, yeah, Skeletor gets the power of Shazam and just assumes that he'll be able to knock out Darkseid. So they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, he's a Skeletor is able to trick Darkseid into taking out the front uh, door of Castle Grayskull, which has never been breached in this way before. He's able to use his um, the Omega Sanction or whatever it's called, his eye beams at full blast, and he's able to over time destroy the doors, which is something that you know Castle Grayskull has never been penetrated in that way. Just a full frontal you know blast and then uh once that happens the skeletor is like i i think now i can take him now that he's a slightly diminished power and i've got the power of of uh shazam uh it doesn't go well but it, it's no, really no. fun, it was really awesome. oh yeah
0: <laughs> it's like it's like one of those moments like I, I remember reading blackest night and like my favorite part of it is how scarecrow shows up with a, a yellow lantern ring and it's literally like an issue or maybe like a half an issue but it it, like it makes such a mark on you
1: you
0: know yeah Yeah. like that that was one of those things like that and you know maybe when um when uh i I won't call him adam but i'll say maybe when he-man is fighting um lion-o in your your thundercats crossover and then there's that iconic um uh where he's stabbing him through the chest and it's like oh my god that, that, were, that took me back to, like, when Optimus Prime dies in the Transformers movie, and I had a little man tear
1: come down. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, um, in the very first issue of He-Man Thundercats, um, the sorceress, who's actually not the sorceress, it's, it's mummer in disguise, um, tricks Adam out of his sword and then impales him with it, <laughs> which I know you've read that. And then yeah. Prince Adam, since he's touching the sword, is able to now you know call upon the power of Ray Skull and then he's he pops into He Man, so now he's at full power. Um, but it's you know I don't know stuff like that, and that was written by uh, let me see uh, Rob David and Lloyd Goldfine, the uh, He Man Thundercats crossover. So I've been very, I mean, all three of those you know, so Batman and all three volumes, and then He Man Thundercats, and then Injustice versus Master of the Universe, all very well written in my opinion. And so it was, a, I would agree. Yeah. A really fun. Each of those was really fun to jump into. Cause there was never a time that I felt like, cause I, I have had this in my career uh, where sometimes you get into a, into a story where it doesn't, it's not something you really connect with very well. And you're like, well, I'll just try to do my best to, to draw this in a way that seems like I'm enjoying it, even if you're not really, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you just try to connect to something and then hope that it, seems like you were into it, you know?
0: That's crazy. So do you think that we'll see something like, um, like a cover for, from you for Last Ronin? Is that anything that uh, like, have you been asked or?
1: Oh, I've done a cover for issue one and- Oh, that's right, uh, that of was, course. Yeah, that was the um, the retailers exclusive for Evolve comics. I know the the owner of Evolve, a guy named Brad Allen that I've become friends with over the last couple of years um so it's mainly it's not a physical store it's like an online retailer and at conventions when conventions were a thing um <laughs> they <so> will I, <laughs> be again <laughs> yeah exactly at some point maybe um there will be again but uh so i did a retailers incentive cover for issue 1 for him evolve comics and then i did a uh cover for issue 3 so that has not come out yet but they've already shown it in solicitations so nice uh, yeah, I we're starting to board. see those now. I think, um,
0: I've got like three of them pre-ordered. Um, so I'll have to look for yours then.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, ended the, up with
0: I 14 covers of the, of the first issue. So
1: the, um, issue, uh, issue one has, that I drew was sold out from evolve. So I don't know if they even have anymore. more, but I'm sure they exist on the secondary market for some very high price, but, um, in any case, yeah, I think I don't even have a copy of them yet. So uh, <laughs> oh, wow. that to me is, yeah, like he usually said, like the, they'll send like a comp copy or something. And so we'll see if I end up getting that because he, he said he sold out really quickly on it, So
0: <laughs> Would that be one that you read or would you just set that aside so it would retain
1: value? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would flip through it, but I've actually, I mean, because I already knew the story from, Kevin just flat out telling me the story then later I actually got a PDF of it um, there whenever. you go yeah <laughs> yeah so so I don't so much have to read it in that way I, I already read it uh, and I saw issue 2 like they were done with issue 2 a while in advance like uh, so anyway um, I got to read it a couple of times before you know before the general audience saw it so <laughs> that's awesome
0: yeah that's that's great yeah um, <laughs> that's I was like the first episode's Okay. So our, I, I said, I, I love your stuff uh, in, in terms of like art. Do you think that you're always going to be thought of as like the Ninja Turtle guy or the He-Man guy? Or know. maybe the crossover
1: guy? Yeah, I I think if there's like one, if there was like one title that people might know me as, it would probably be the Batman Ninja Turtles guy. Um, before that, it was the guy who, the Robin guy, because I drew Robin. Mm-hmm. and yep. I drew like um, <clears throat> almost a two year run. On robin um which i love drawing tim drake it would be great to get to draw him again but um yeah maybe uh, it would be probably the batman ninja turtles guy i there was a while where because i drew like covers for uh the terminator uh, the transformers versus the terminator crossover and then there was a crossover called first strike that had yep G. that Joe was great but,
0: yeah um,
1: mask yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mask, um, Matt Tracker from Mask Transformers, and... Rom the Space Knight. It had like a bunch of different characters. So, um, and I, I love drawing stuff like that. Um, I just recently drew like what, like fifteen covers for GI Joe. Most of them haven't come out yet. Oh wow, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I think that's the Batman Ninja Turtles is probably the thing I'd be will probably be remembered for. And I'm quite happy for that. I I was really fortunate to get to draw that.
0: Yeah, I it's it's my favorite thing of yours and i love all of your stuff i said i have that shredder book from the the loot crate i have that and it's like that's that's a a treasure unto itself like this sort of uh samurai shogun looking uh shredder and all that i'm like man this thing is so cool
1: (laughs) thanks yeah the the uh the reference that i got from uh trevor was like a bunch of still frames from very late seasons of the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Cause I, I was really into the Ninja Turtles cartoon for like the first three seasons. And then I was starting to kind of age out of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I have gone back. My uh, Kiki got me the DVD box set. The one that's in, like the Ninja Turtle van. Oh, right. in the van. Nice. Yeah. That's, you know, uh, and every one of my nieces and nephews have wanted to play with that just to pick it up off the shelf and then the top and bottom immediately separate, you know, like that happens every time. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I've watched some of the later, <laughs> the later seasons now. But uh, anyway, the, there was like these still frames of stuff that I hadn't seen before where it's like this uh, ancient uh, storytelling spirit and then also um, Shredder's ancestor who was the samurai lead, you know, warlord or something of the foot clan at the time. So yeah, that the, was the maybe- Damio or something. Yeah. yeah, I don't know the terminology, so I didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said the leader or whatever. Um, but it was fun getting to draw that kind of stuff because i haven't you know i love to draw shredder and i mean all the turtles and stuff in in whatever forms they can dream up it's fun to, to do to i was draw. just thinking i have a hat actually
0: um that i got a hot at a uh, no where's it GameStop that has yeah. your, your version of the shredder on it
1: yeah you know your stuff uh yeah and <laughs> yeah, gee i can't remember what year it was but i it's like It was like two years where that artwork didn't appear anywhere. Um, I drew some artwork. It was called Dark Shredder. So he had like, you know, the sort of demon mask that some samurais would wear as part of their armor to, you know, kind of create like an intimidation factor. Um, There was this suit of armor that Shredder had for this line of memorabilia or whatever it was that um, I drew like just two images, but then they were able to use them later at GameStop like a year or two after I drew it um where he's got like these claws are like a foot and a half long and he's got oh yeah human mask and stuff um and uh toka who is a uh skateboarding cool guy who's really into ninja turtles that i met at um san diego con he he posts on instagram all the time and he goes by toka um he he sent me um some screenshots of the hat that he got and he was like did you draw this and i was like oh yes it finally came out because sometimes you draw stuff and it just gets buried and you never Uh, yeah i can imagine you're like oh where did this end up (laughs) yeah so yeah there was a a hat um a wallet and i thought there might have been a shirt uh, i didn't buy
0: the wallet yet but i saw it (laughs) (laughs) i I was honestly kind of hoping for a watch to be honest with you i thought that would have been neat
1: yeah like a close-up of his face or something with the watch um just like anything or maybe he's going like
0: this or something you know like Yeah, whatever they do it's it's just really (laughs) a cool image with like the the stark comparison of like the the foot behind him with like the red sort of eyes and and he's just standing there and it's really cool it
1: was a cool design i did not design him by the way but i i just drew a you know my own pose and interpretation but they had already established what he would look like um Costume wise, you know.
0: see maybe you can't take credit for the design, but you can take credit for the battle where Batman is fighting the Shredder, which is like uh-huh. every fanboy's dream,
1: <laughs> you know.
0: And you're like, who's gonna win? And it was tastefully done. It's like, okay, well, Shredder wins until he comes back with this big suit because he's Batman, and then he wins. So you
1: know. <laughs> the so the Ninja Tur- Batman versus the Ninja Turtles animated had the luxury of doing what james and i would have loved to do so in the in the comic book version that we drew we had like two pages to show a battle um and james had privately messaged me and he said dude i'm so sorry we've only got like two pages this is issue six so it's the last issue of that uh story arc you know so we had to some we had to finish it there we didn't have any more room and, and he was like, I, I wish that I had more room, but we only have like two pages for this fight. And it's like the two of the best martial artists that ever have existed. Yeah. And we have to kind of summarize what they do in two pages. So um, I did the best that I could, which was to draw like um, a big collage where it implies a much longer fight, but like a bunch of different panels, uh, small panels in the background of their, of their exchange. But um, in the animated Batman versus the Ninja Turtles, they have this great fight, uh, a much more long drawn out Batman versus the Shredder fight where I've met with some of the storyboard artists. And they were like, yeah, we were just looking at all the coolest martial arts fights from every movie we've ever seen. And you just kind of vibe off of the kind of stuff that they were doing and then putting you know, Shredder in this role and then Batman in that role. Uh, and man, I wish I wish I had had 20 pages to draw a fight between the two oh, yeah. Um, and it would have been something similar to what they did in, you know, the animated, um, but yeah, Batman and the Shredder, it's a really fun fight. And then in volume two, um, we alluded to another fight that happened off screen between the two of them. Yeah. Like the Rocky three. Yeah. It's like, who (laughs) won that battle? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who won it? I don't know. You can ask Um, (laughs) him. And, uh, I really wanted to, to do something and, I I even contacted my editor and I said, can we do like a, a one shot? That's like a 48 page. I shot big so that if they said no and, and made it a smaller page count, maybe I could still get a one shot where it was just a fight between the two of them. And we would say it's like issue 3.4 or you oh, know wow. issue issue 4.5 or whatever. So that it would fit in between these two issues. And um, my editor, Jim was like, no, he was just like, no, we can't do that. Do they um, not like money? I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: like, no, it, it, it I think that would much, be convoluted. It's like,
1: what? <laughs> yeah. Oh well. It, it's they, a much less exciting um, answer. It's bec- it's like a boring answer. It's because you know, there's like. Um, you know, a contract that exists. Yeah, that says, I figured. We you can, we can them do in a this way. number of issues and, yeah. not, you know, so they would have to renegotiate a whole contract. So to, to fit this in. So I was like, ah, okay. Okay. Um, but I'd love to draw that.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. No, I am I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the last thing I was going to ask you is just, um, is there any other shows or anything else maybe from um, like sort of a nostalgia perspective that you would like to take and move into something. Um, I'm actually wearing a pirates of dark water t-shirt right now. Oh yeah. um, Yeah. Like something, something like that, like um, (laughs) any sort of property that you haven't touched yet that you think would be like a really cool book for you to pursue.
1: Yeah. uh, Pirates of dark water is one of them. And I swear for those listening that's not a setup that's not like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah he really is wearing that shirt. yeah yeah um, and, but it's not like it's not like I asked you to ask that or that you told yeah, me no, that. it's, that's yeah um, it's organic that, right <laughs> it's totally organic yeah, uh, yeah I, I remember watching that I don't know if you had the same experience but you get home from school and sometimes it wasn't on and then other times it would be because it was like they played them on Fridays so uh, sometimes they would play repeats and then other times they wouldn't play it. It was very strange. You, you never knew when you'd actually get the next episode of Pirates of, the, of Darkwater. Um, I would love to draw a, a comic book adaptation or connection with that because it was great looking characters and a cool story. It's been a while since I watched it, but I remember really liking it. The voice um, actors were
0: amazing on that show.
1: Um, that's something I didn't. Con- I, I'm not saying that they were not good. I just don't remember. It's been such a long so time. So George
0: Newbern, who did the yeah. voice of Superman from the Justice League Unlimited Justice League. So uh-huh. he, he was the one who played Bren. And uh, okay. you had um, Jody Benson, who was the voice of The Little Mermaid, doing uh, Tula. <laughs> oh, and okay. uh, Hector Elizondo as Iaz.
1: Yeah, so. that's great. I, I think, you know, I, um, I think... The, I've never seen this confirmed, but I think the vision... Whoever drew the character studies... Uh, I think we're influenced by Elfquest I don't know if you it.
0: yeah absolutely yeah, yeah
1: I, the the sort of large Disney eyes so there's like a uh nowadays seeing a manga influence or a Disney influence in you know American comic book artwork is pretty common, but there was a time where that was not at all common, and Wendy Penny, who drew Elfquest, I think she was way ahead of her time by fusing that together where she was doing American comic book sort of sensibilities but bringing in disney and manga influences and so i think even now if you a modern audience looked at her work from the 70s and 80s oh, could yeah. probably click with what she was doing back then uh very easily um because she was way ahead of her time so i think that pirates of dark water were cribbing from elf quest which i totally get elf quest is beautiful um, i think
0: wizards did that too the the ralph Foxy uh, movie yeah. the wizards they probably ripped that Right from Elf Quest as well. Like some of the yeah. characters look like a direct takeoff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's also possible that they're pulling from the same influences. But it's, I, I can see very much what you mean. So this stuff, whatever Wendy was looking at, might have been the same stuff that they were looking at. You know, so in other words, similar influences. Um, I would love as uh, Silverhawks was something that was really. Oh mildly, yeah, you know? that would be amazing. Like yeah, a, a Silverhawks
0: uh, crossover with uh, Thundercats, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. I would love that, would, that. That would kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love even if there was like a three-way of, um, you know, He-Man, Thundercats, and Silverhawks play an ancillary role or something where they have to go more cosmic and, and there's, you know, the Silverhawks are there to help. Um, because it seems like, I think it was inferred that there was a connection between Silverhawks and Thundercats and it was the same animation studio and stuff and they mm-hmm. had a very similar villain. I think it
0: was Rankin-Bass, <laughs> wasn't it?
1: <clears throat> That's a good question. I, yeah. I just know that at one point I was listening to behind the scenes stuff and they were the same studio, but I can't remember the name of the studio. So probably
0: yeah. though. Yeah. Cause I, I always thought I'm like, wow, this has the same animation
1: as the Hobbit. The so Hobbit. Yeah. There's oh. some very slithe like creatures oh, yeah. in the Hobbit that, I mean, it looks almost right, you know, dead on. Um, and I've only recently seen those Hobbit animated films. And I think I saw it last year or something. Um, when I was a kid, I had like a vague memory of seeing, Something animated, but I didn't know what it was. And then just last year, my wife Kiki got me. We watched like all three films. The middle one is done by a different, it's so yeah, strange. Ralph, the
0: Ralph, actually, with the rotoscope and all that. Yeah, so it's, such it's, a weird, it's so
1: out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's weird. Like, I mean, because I don't know all the behind the scenes, but it's like Rankin Bass or whatever studio got, you know, Fellowship of the Ring and then to, I'm sorry, Return of the King. Like, that was yep. what they got the rights to. And then Uh, back she got the middle one, which would be two towers. Like, so they're not directly connected, and they're as far as they come. Obviously, from the same Tolkien source material, but it's not like studios working in tandem. They just, I don't know. It's a weird thing to watch them all back to back, which is what we did in one night. We watched all three of them back. -back. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um. Anyway, I love I love stuff like that, and the the sort of watercolor texture in the background of the Hobbit um, films were just blowing me away. Like I just kept pausing and going, look at that. Look at that. Like, because oh, yeah. you don't see animation that looks like that. Even if you used computer animation to stitch it all together, just seeing the organic quality of the animation and the the background uh, paintings and stuff were, were so exciting to me that nowadays, if, even if people use computer stuff to connect that organic stuff to, to stitch it together, I would love to see that. Nowadays, the animation looks so, looks too clean for me, for my taste. Oh yeah, I'm,
0: I'm an animation nut. I don't I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen it, but um, based on The Dragon and the George by Gordon Dixon, A Flight of Dragons. I have not seen that. That is the same animation studio and um, John Ritter voices the main character. It's it's a story of um, a man of science who uh, develops his own like Dungeons and Dragons style game and ends up mm-hmm. getting sucked in tight inside the game and becoming... Um, trapped inside the body of a dragon so wow and it's it's really really a great one so
1: (laughs) that's cool and it's the same visual uh style as the hobbit anime it is
0: yeah yeah oh and there's uh some i think james earl jones does one of the voices um larry storch uh (laughs) if you're a fan of f (laughs) Troop,
1: this is so weird i'm surprised this has flown under the radar i mean i guess you know i just you know i didn't even know about the hobbit uh animated films until last year you know or or confirmation that my childhood memories existed Um, but you know what i mean like (laughs) i guess i can't catch it all but that sounds like something it's a real like like
0: berenstein berenstein bear type thing (laughs) yeah
1: yeah exactly (laughs) um yeah i came from the universe that didn't have this these cool animations that i got Uh, So now I'm getting to watch them again after Dimensional uh, Fusion or whatever it's called.
0: Is that the universe
1: where Nicolas Cage did all of the
0: movies that Keanu Reeves did and Keanu Reeves did all of Nicolas Cage movies? Because I want to be in that. I want to just like binge watch in that universe and then go back because there's a version of the Matrix out there with that I want to (laughs) see.
1: Oh, yeah, I heard that Nicholas Cage was approached, and so was Will Smith and some other actors to to be Neo potentially. But I hadn't heard anything about. Um, is there actually like a Mandela effect theory that Nicholas? Yeah, Cage there's a heard? theory
0: out there about this that there's an alternate dimension where that happened, and I'm
1: like, wow, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone else in Point Break. So you know, <laughs> it's just so odd. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Or yeah. I, I mean, well, who knows? I'd love to see Johnny Pneumonic, uh Johnny Mnemonic with Nicholas Cage, that'd be interesting. That it'd was such a better, weird movie.
0: It'd be a better movie, I
1: think. Um <laughs> It'd have to be, right? I,
0: I'm a fan of the Brian Thompson uh in that movie, and, and I think uh who else is in that Henry Rollins? But other than that, it's like it's <laughs> probably my least favorite of the uh of the Keanu Reeves films. But what about the dolphin? The, the, yeah, the dolphin uh <laughs> He was the kill best kill that <laughs> uh, give <laughs> me Darwin from Sequest DSV. Thank you very much. <laughs> you <know? laughs> now we're talking, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a, okay. I've shown my nerd colors. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on because this is amazing. And just to get to talk to you about like all this stuff, um, you know, it's been a blast.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on and uh, thanks for letting me go over the time. Um, I hope that doesn't create a problem for you with the the length of your episode. No, No? I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) All right, good. (laughs) It's pizza time.
0: And now, in a segment that we call Pizza Time, where we discuss any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or pizza-related food, I give you Pizza Time. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pizza Time. Today's recipe is going to be from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle's Pizza Cookbook, page 113, New York Cheesecake Pizza. This one makes one 12-inch pizza. So I'm going to give you the description, then I'm going to give you the ingredients and the instructions. And then at the end, I'll give you an idea on how to lighten it up if you want to go with a little low sugar or maybe a healthier option. What's more New York than a strawberry cheesecake? How about one you can eat with your hands? Make this one in late spring or early summer with strawberries, whether at their freshest. Ingredients. First for the crust. Twelve full graham cracker sheets broken into pieces. Six tablespoons unsalted butter, melted. One-third cup packed brown sugar. One-fourth teaspoon salt. Topping. One eight-ounce package cream cheese at room temperature. One-half cup plain Greek yogurt one tablespoon freshly squeezed lemon juice, two tablespoons of honey, one teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, one eighth teaspoon fine sea salt, two cups thinly sliced fresh strawberries, one fourth cup low sugar strawberry preserves. Instructions, how to make the crust. Place the graham crackers in a bowl of a food processor and then grind them until they look like sand. Step two, add the butter, brown sugar and salt and pulse until combined. Step three, Dump the mixture into a 12-inch pizza pan and press it out evenly, all the way to the edges. Use the bottom of a flat measuring cup to make sure it's packed down as much as possible. Step 4. Refrigerate for at least one hour. To make the topping, place the cream cheese in a bowl of an electric mixer fitted with a whisk attachment. Step 2. Beat until fluffy. Add the yogurt, lemon juice, honey, vanilla, and salt. Beat until smooth. Step 3. Spread the cheesecake topping onto the crust. Step 4. Refrigerate for 24 hours or until the cheesecake is set. Step 5. Toss the strawberries with the preserves in a medium bowl. Then spoon the mixture on top of the finished cheesecake. Slice and serve. Now, if you want to lighten it up, use 100% whole grain graham crackers, reduced fat cream cheese and yogurt, and sugar-free strawberry preserves. Thanks everybody, and enjoy your pizza! (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. This podcast has no affiliation with Eastman, Laird, IDW Studios, Nickelodeon Studios, RG Comics, or any other Turtles properties. This podcast is a member of the Epic Sewers podcast network. Be sure to check out our other great shows, some turtle related, some not. Thanks for listening. Epic Tales from the Sewers is recorded by Justin Cooper are you looking for a gift for the nostalgic nerd in your life try a candle from the euphoric tree fort nostalgic novelty gifts for nerds
1: from birthdays to holidays or just because waft these smell vision candles with fragrances from your favorite shows such as
0: bob's burgers simpsons dr seuss rick and morty futurama adventure time harry potter James and the Giant Peach, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, The Rugrats, Steven Universe, My Hero Academia, Dragon Ball Z, One Punch Man, Pokemon, Death Note, and fairly odd
1: These soy candles won't gunk up your walls because they're dye-free, cruelty-free, and soot-free. Also, free souvenirs in every order over $20 and free shipping on orders over 75
0: With exciting scents like Nog featuring eggnog and brandy. Christmas in Whoville. Fir tree, peppermint bread, and sugar plum. Truffula tree, butterfly milk, and birch tree. Mmm, donuts. Donuts and pink icing. And the ever-popular Macon Bacon Pancakes, featuring bacon and buttermilk pancake and maple.
1: They say that smell is the strongest sense tied to memory, and if these candles don't make you nostalgic, nothing will. And remember, if you use promo code ETFS10, you'll get a discount.
0: Check out the website, euphorictreefort.com, for smell vision candles and nostalgic gifts. Don't forget to use our code.
1: Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com.
0: Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. Hi, everyone. This is Justin from the Fantastic Podcast. It's a show all about fan experiences from the things that we love. So, whether it's your favorite musician, your favorite actor, maybe it could be about your favorite sports team, or maybe just uh, someone that you spent time with watching something that you loved when you were a kid, these are the kind of stories that we talk about. We uh, usually do a couple stories, and uh, it's a shorter podcast, so you can listen to it on lunch at work. So, uh, please check us out at the Fantastic Podcast. You can find us where most podcasts are found you can also find us on social media thanks a lot and check out the fantastic podcast
1: if you're into anime manga comic books movie reviews or just pop culture spoiler force podcast is the place for you not only do i talk about nerdy topics i have conversations with a variety of guests such as musicians comic-con artists cosplayers other podcasters and people from all over the world Join me as I go on this journey to find ways to help others express themselves with their creativity.
0: Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead.
1: They're so disgusting.